Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got to begin with all this nonsense going on in Washington. I'm, I'm trying, you know, every day to find stuff. That's not just politics, because politics, if it's boring me, it's got to be boring you. But I just, I, I continue to be amazed at this. I have said before, and I've got to say it again, how is it that the Democrats are as bad at this as they are? I am flabbergasted by their ability at this moment to put points on the board. The Build Back Better, they don't have a pathway to pursue it. The Senate parliamentarian has killed their plan for immigration reform inside Build Back Better, which everyone knew was going to happen. Now they've taken to trying to pass the Voting Rights Act again, claiming that there should be a carve-out in the filibuster for voting rights. Not to get rid of the filibuster, but a carve-out so that there would be no filibuster for voting rights. In fairness to the Democrats, Mitch McConnell helped them set this precedent by doing the debt ceiling as a carve-out of the filibuster. But how are they so bad at this? They're not going to get that done. Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin themselves have come out and said, nope, no carve-out for voting rights under the filibuster. And I, I have a theory. I have a theory here. First of all, Chuck Schumer seems to be a pretty impotent Senate Majority Leader. He's shooting blanks, I mean, frankly. I'm, I'm stunned by Chuck Schumer's inability to lead the Senate. I thought it was notable in uh, the Punch Bowl, which is the, it's a newsletter about Capitol Hill, about the politics of Capitol Hill. They, the guys who write it, uh, guys and gals, they used to do the Politico Daybook, and now they do their Punch Bowl series. And they've surveyed staff on Capitol Hill, Senate and House staff. They rank Mitch McConnell as more powerful than Chuck Schumer in the Senate. And it's true. And I'm I'm kind of stunned. I'm kind of surprised by Chuck Schumer's impetus. But I got a theory here. Work with me on this. It is increasingly clear across Democrat and Republican um, parties in Washington that many of the members are playing to the crowd. It's not so much that they want to get anything done. It's that they want to excite their base. So we have substituted actual leadership and accomplishment for performance art on social media. So Elizabeth Warren, for example, can introduce legislation to pack the Supreme Court after Joe Biden's, uh, what, did, what did he call it, his commission to study the Supreme Court after they came out and said, bad idea. She's going to do it anyway, not because she thinks it can pass, but because she performs. It's performance. Ayanna Presley has come out this morning with a tweet. Student debt, allowing student debt to remain is policy 
violence. Policy violence, the new phrase. Allowing, not forgiving student loans is policy violence. You, you allow people to continue to have the student debt that they chose, it's policy violence. Apparently, you, you give people bad gifts at Christmas, that is present violence, which is way more important than policy violence. She doesn't seem to understand that. But it's all playing to the crowd. It, it's all about performance. Not actually getting anything done. So the Democrats can't get Build Back Better passed. It's it's not able to get passed. They have no agenda to get it passed. We are at the end of the year. They cannot get it over the cross. They can't get over the finish line. Can't do it. They have no ability to get Joe Manchin's vote. They're unwilling to compromise further with him. They're trying to get him up from a number where he's dug in his heels. They will not go down to his number. They can't get it passed. They are incapable of getting the Voting Rights Act passed. They will not pass it. They can't get over the filibuster. And so what they've done now is they've sent out a series of Democrats on Capitol Hill to perform, to to claim that they are in some way going to get it passed. They are in some way going to get it passed, the Senate. In no way, shape, or form are they able to get it passed, the Senate. They don't have the votes. They don't have the votes to break the filibuster. And here's the thing. Even if they had the votes to break the filibuster, they don't have the votes to get the individual pieces of legislation passed because Joe Manchin is opposed. But they can come out and they can blame the Republicans. They can scream about the filibuster. Uh, Raphael Warnock, the freshman Democrat from Georgia, has come out and said he he struggled, he struggled with whether or not he should support the deal on the debt ceiling. Why are we taking a carve out on the debt ceiling when we can't for voting rights? That's what he wanted to know. Why should we carve out the debt ceiling and not carve out voting rights? And if I'm carving out the debt ceiling, why won't they let me carve out voting rights? Maybe I shouldn't go along with it. He went along with it. But he wanted to perform. He wanted the theater. They have confused Twitter for real life. Now, we saw this on the campaign trail for a lot of the Democrats in 2020. In 2020, Kamala Harris never even made it to Iowa. In the postmortem of her campaign in the New York Times, one of the chief criticisms from those who worked with her was that her campaign staff was more interested in winning the daily fight on Twitter than on a strategic, coherent narrative on which to win. And then when Elizabeth Warren lost the postmortem on Elizabeth Warren's campaign from the New York Times, again, was that the young staffers were more interested in winning the daily fight on Twitter than they were actually winning a campaign. And now, uh, yesterday, I forget which, which news organization it was, I think it was the Washington Post, actually went on record with a number of politicos, particularly from the 2020 campaign season, about their Jesse Smollett tweets, their their outraged tweets about Jesse Smollett and why they didn't walk him back. And the criticism again 
was that the young staffers in charge of the social media accounts were more in tune with what was going on social media and compelled to respond to those sorts of things. It was the young staffers on social media. It was their fault. It's what I think is going on here. Chuck Schumer is an impotent leader. It's not that he's incompetent. He just can't get anything done. You don't get to be the Senate majority leader by being incompetent, but he is impotent. And he's impotent because Chuck Schumer plays by different rules. Chuck Schumer is out to actually come up with a comprehensive public policy plan, and his Democratic colleagues are too busy winning the war on Twitter. They can't win the war in the Senate. Schumer cannot gravitate them together to do something, and part of the problem is the progressives will not compromise. You know, they compromised on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. They got that passed in the House and the Senate. 13 Republicans voted for it in the House, and it turns out it certainly did help scuttle the Build Back Better plan. This is why the progressives in the House said they refused to vote for the infrastructure plan. They wanted them together. Now that the moderates have passed the infrastructure plan, there's just no reason to pass Build Back Better for many of them. Because the progressives, they go all out on performance on social media. You know, I, I, I tend to think Twitter overall is bad. I tend to think Twitter overall is, is all about performance. Twitter overall is way more these days for politicians about performance art. We live in postmodern times. One of the hallmarks of postmodernism is performance. You can't just not like something. You have to vilify it. You can't just oppose something. You have to pour gas on it and set it on fire and destroy it. It's all about performance. It's all about making sure everyone knows through your performance what you support or or you like. It's no longer your words no longer matter because remember, words can mean whatever you want them to mean. It's the kabuki theater of it. You got to go out there and do a song and dance. You got to go out there and, and dance around and demand. You got to go pound your chest. That's what the Democrats in Washington, D.C. are doing. It's what the Democrats and some Republicans, some of the House Republicans have gotten this. They're performing for the base. They're fundraising off of it. The leadership, though, is in a problem. The leadership has things they want to get done. Joe Biden is desperate to get something big passed. But you know what? They have actually gotten stuff done in December. We should give them credit on a bipartisan basis. They have passed legislation to ban the sale of goods in the United States from the Uyghur provinces of China unless it can be proven slave labor was not used. Uh, The Senate passed it unanimously. They did raise the debt ceiling, though I don't think they should have. They did on a bipartisan basis. They continued to fund the government on a bipartisan basis. They have passed the National Defense Authorization Act on a bipartisan basis. They stripped from it the provision that would require girls be drafted on a bipartisan basis. They were, in fact, able to get some things done. The business of government continued to get done. And therein lies the rub here. 
the responsible daily operations of government have gotten done, even as the Kabuki theater plays out on Twitter with the Democrats screaming about what they can't get done. The Democrats themselves are leaving the impression that they can't get anything done in Washington, D.C. because of the filibuster, the Republicans, and Joe Manchin. But the day-to-day operations of the government, the Senate and the House are getting those things done. You would never know it from the press coverage, and you would never know it from the press coverage because of the the contratops on, on Twitter by the agitators, the progressive agitators from the House and the Senate who are screaming and railing about being unable to get anything done. So they leave the impression that they want to leave, that they are impotent and inert. They are incompetent. They can't get it done. They're bad at this. They're bad at the messaging. They're bad at the policy. And they're bad at figuring out what things they can and cannot get done. One of the things Mitch McConnell does, whether you like him or not, and I've been a longtime critic of his, but he figures out what is realistic. And he never sells more than what is realistic. Chuck Schumer and the Democrats have tried to sell people on a whole host of things that never had a chance of getting passed. And now they're left having to explain why they can't get these things passed. It's very clear they dropped Build Back Better and moved on to voting rights so they could blame Republicans on the filibuster. But guess what? It's Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema again there. They can't get it done. How are the Democrats so bad at this, y'all? How are they this bad? It's like they have forgotten how politics works. They have forgotten how to play the game. They have become so emotionally invested in winning the daily fight on Twitter that they can't actually win in the public policy arena. It has poisoned, Twitter has, social media has, their kabuki theater on MSNBC has poisoned their ability to perform in public. And there's no such thing as political Viagra. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of this program, 877-973-7425. It is Friday. We go loose on the phones, and frankly, I'm happy to have the calls today. If you can't tell, my voice, I'm holding it together with duct tape and some string. I got food poisoning, and it was the worst food poisoning I have ever had. And I am not completely better. Um, it's It's been a rough go of it. I, I feel way better today than, than yesterday. Um, and night before last was really rough. Last night I actually slept. Um, but my gosh, miserable. I'm supposed to go out of town in two days. And I am drinking as many fluids as I can, Gatorade and Sprite and water. And I managed to move beyond saltines to Pop-Tarts. So... I'm there. I did just have a cup of coffee. So we'll see if that keeps keeps me going. But I am always happy to have your phone calls, 877-973-7425. Uh, and, you know, when we come back, I'll spend some time with them. I don't have enough time right now, actually, looking at the clock to get them. I will note this, though, before I go to break. The FDA has decided to permanently allow abortion pills by mail. They, they had a, they, the FDA previously had a policy that you had to have an in-person visit with a doctor for mifeprestone, which is a drug that induces an abortion. You take it at home and it causes essentially a miscarriage and you can have it at your house. Yeah. Um, you've got, it's gotta be within 10 weeks gestation, which is why, 
the FDA had wanted to make sure that you were in person because if it's after 10 weeks, it can cause all sorts of problems. But now they've decided that you will be able to get this by mail with a telemedicine visit. Now, why? Well, they are desperately worried that Roe versus Wade is coming to an end. This is not a health decision. This is an abortion decision. This is a public policy decision about abortion, not about health care. Now, if they're doing this, California has decided California will cover the costs of any woman who wants an abortion in a state where it's banned if Roe versus Wade uh, goes away. If that's the case as well, then um, why do we need Roe versus Wade? It seems like the Democrats are doing a very good job of making the case that none of us actually need Roe versus Wade. I, I don't understand why we need to keep it going if we're going to do stuff like this. And, and the federal government is essentially going to allow women in states where abortion might be banned to have abortions through the mail in the privacy of their own home m- might as well go on and get rid of Roe versus Wade. Might as well. I wonder if the Supreme Court is noticing this. It, it, it almost seems like the Democrats are so expecting the Supreme Court to reverse Roe versus Wade that they're now making policy decisions that show it was never needed in the first place, that in turn will suggest to the voters it's really no big deal. So the big win that the Democrats think they could have by the Supreme Court throwing out Roe versus Wade actually won't be a big win at all. It'll be a nothing burger. They'll undermine their own case. In fact, I got to tell you guys, the data out there doesn't seem to show what the Democrats think it shows. The data does not suggest in any way, shape, or form that getting rid of Roe versus Wade would motivate uh, a wave of voting for Democrats. Democrats who are going to vote on abortion already vote. So you're not going to get more people to go vote on the issue when those people already vote. It just, it doesn't work that way. The math's not there for them. So that's what we have. Now, when we come back, uh, I am going to talk. I'm going to take your phone calls as well. But I also want to talk to Tyson Lankover. You know, this is a big case up in Virginia. I've been keeping my eye on for a while. The teacher up there who is being forced to use pronouns that the teacher doesn't want to use. The culture war in the classroom. In California, there's a parent who's come out and said that the teachers encouraged her child to transition under the radar without the parents being informed or consenting to it. The new wave of the culture war fought by progressive teachers in the classroom behind parents' backs. We'll discuss all this and take your calls when we come back. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be part of the program, 877-973-7425. Uh, stand by on hold. Uh, we've got a guest coming up here real quick. Uh, one of the cases uh, that I have been paying attention to in this culture war fight uh, is a Virginia teacher who did not want to embrace the the pronouns that a that a, a kid basically was insisting and be used and this this is a growing problem around the country in the culture war fight if you've seen the story out of California of a mother who showed up before school board protesting that apparently teachers at the school were surreptitiously helping the child the parents child transition parents had no idea this was happening and and in some places now 
teachers are being forced to use pronouns that don't align with with biology and because of matters of conscience and faith some teachers are are objecting and they're getting punished it's just it's bizarre and and you know so i um i've been telling you guys they're one of our sponsors now alliance to freedom i did not realize in the particular case i've been following in virginia that adf was actually involved uh with peter vlaming we've talked about this case several times here on the show and uh one of their lawyers one of his lawyers is joining me tyson how are you uh doing great how are you eric i'm great uh th- thank you for being able to join me uh, i have talked about this case out of virginia several times now on the program and i can you just e- review the facts of the case uh w- with the audience sure so uh peter vlaming was a high school french teacher in uh Williamsburg, Virginia, for seven years, and he was a, a very well respected and very well liked. Um, had a he had had a student in his class the previous two years, uh, a female student, and uh, that the following year she had indicated that she wanted to transition uh, to a boy, and he accommodated her and said, "Look, we'll uh, I'll call you by whatever new name you want, uh, but I just want to avoid the use of pronouns." Um, and uh, you know, eventually, uh, the the that was unacceptable, and uh, the school essentially said, not only will you be forced to use the pronouns, but if we find that you're avoiding the use of a pronoun by using a name instead of the pronoun, um, then you know you'll be fired. And and um, so he, they were wanting him to sign that statement saying he would agree to that. He said, I can't, and so they ended up terminating him. Um, and it's you know, it's a, it's a very uh, sad situation, obviously, because um, teachers should be free to advocate for the good of their students, and they shouldn't be forced to speak messages that they disagree with and that they think are going to be harmful to their students. Now, I want to circle back on something just just to reiterate this point that I, that I thought was a, a really big deal. It's not just that he couldn't uh, avoid the pronouns, but but if he if he went out of his way to use proper names instead of pronouns, that too would get him in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, that again shows the, the situation we're dealing with here, Eric. This is all about ideology. This is not um, about, you know, trying to accommodate people with different beliefs. Obviously, he, he's taught in the public school for years and had no problems accommodating students of all kinds of different beliefs. But what they were trying to do was force him to speak a message about sex and about gender that he doesn't believe. Peter believes that sex is immutable and, and that gender doesn't change because of your, your feelings. Um, and, but yet they were demanding that he affirm this ideology by saying that, you know, he must use a, a male pronoun when referring to a female student. And I think that's the real problem that we're seeing here is that, you know, these schools are adopting these ideological um, motives rather than educational and are trying to force everyone to adhere to this, this radical ideology. Now, where is the, where's, what's the status of the case? So, um, unfortunately the, the, the district court dismissed the case. Um, they, they held that they dismissed all the claims. Um, and so we have appealed this to the Virginia Supreme court and, uh, we're in the process of briefing that right now. And we're hoping that the Virginia Supreme court recognizes that Virginia has long protected, um, you know, the rights of individuals to, to speak messages, um, 
that that they that they want to speak and not to be forced to speak messages they disagree with. And um, you know, as we're seeing, you know, we represent teachers in Loudoun County who have been who have been punished for very similar things. And so this isn't an isolated instance. A very pervasive incident. You mentioned the one in California. Um, school districts across the country are are adopting this radical ideology, this notion that that gender is fluid and flexible. And you know, the the important thing. This isn't about a pronoun. This is about participation in in social transition, which we know based on the science leads to, um, you know, puberty blockers, to, you know, cross sex hormones and onto surgery. Um, and, and so you're forcing everybody to participate in those things, even when they don't agree with them and they think they're going to be harmful to their students. Well, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm troubled by in, in all of these situations is it seems like there really is, first of all, uh, they, they would call you and me the culture warriors here when we're just standing for the status quo and, they're the ones marching down the field, forcing the rest of us to go along with it. But there does seem to be this effort to co-opt uh, the, particularly the public education bureaucracy to advance this agenda, even against uh, the well-meaning people who just simply dissent from something that isn't settled, is very new, and, and seems like we're being forced to rush into it. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, you, what you're finding at, at these school districts across the country, you're finding the school boards... Um, are finding that the parents don't agree with this agenda. They don't agree um, that, you know, a man can be a woman um, and that we should allow, you know, uh, people into, you know, different locker rooms and forcing speech based upon somebody's feelings. And that's what I think you saw, you know, in Virginia here in the governor's race and so forth, that, that education, that parental rights, the rights of free speech and free exercise um, are important. And they're going to, to um, begin impacting how people view, um, you know, what policies the school is is adopting. Because, you know, the bottom line is public employees can't be forced to contradict their core beliefs just to keep a job. But that's really what we're seeing is happening across the country is school districts terminating employees that, that just don't go along with, the, you know, these radical ideologies being pushed. Well, now, I don't want to throw a curveball at you too much, but but I, I'm a, I know ADF has been working with um, – the Kelmarine School District case up in Wisconsin, where it, it, very much like the case in California, the, the school district's allowing minor students to change their name and gender pronouns at school without the parents being involved whatsoever and going along with it. And, and in addition to, I guess, being pushing something against people with honestly held religious beliefs, there really does seem to be just this war in the school system against parents. You're absolutely right. And, and frankly, I, I've looked at a number of these policies and almost every one of the policies are like Kettle Moraine, where they not only um, allow teachers to hide this information from the parents, but actually tell them they must do that. They say, if the parent does not automatically affirm this new gender identity, then they must keep this information from the, from the parents. And that's, that's a radical notion, you know, where they're pitting, they're saying the parents are the problem instead of coming together to work with the situation and try to address why is their child struggling with their, with their gender dysphoria? What's causing this? What's the problem for this? You know, because obviously we should provide children struggling with gender dysphoria with the best care, but separating them from their parents and saying that their parents are the problem, that's, that's not the way to go. And that's a, not only a violation of, um, the, you know, parental rights, but the, but the students' rights to have, you know, the participation of their parents. 
I, for those of you just tuning in, I'm talking to uh, Tyson Langhofer. He's uh, the director of the ADF Center for Academic Freedom. Now, I, I, I'm going to get personal with you here, Tyler. How did you get involved with uh, basically becoming a lawyer advocating on these issues uh, for people uh, essentially in the culture war, whether they want to be or not? You know, I, uh, I was in private practice for 15 years, but I got into law because – I believe that our, our rights here in America are so unique and they're so important. Um, and I've got five children and I, I saw those rights being whittled away. And I don't want my children to grow up in a, in a, in a place that looks very different than the one that I grew up in. And that's what I saw. And so six years ago, I joined ADF because I recognized that if we can no longer speak freely, if we can no longer exercise our religion without fear of being punished uh, or being canceled, um, you know, then America is, is no longer what it was said it'd be. And so I, I you know, chose to, to go into this fight because I believe that it's important. And, um, and I think that, that um, you know, fundamental freedoms travel together. And so when one's taken away, the other ones go away as well. You know, years ago when I was a lawyer, and I was a terrible lawyer, I just, I, I do have to put that out. I was great at transactions, horrible at litigation, didn't like it. Um, but I, I, I occasionally uh, in Georgia, as the ADF w- was up and going, people would come to me and ask questions. I could refer them to the right people, kind of navigate stuff, but it was all very minor things. Uh, things that, that, I mean, today we would look at and, and kind of roll our eyes at that this was an issue. And, and all of the hypotheticals of, of the madness we would get to were just, oh, this sort of stuff will never happen. And suddenly here we are with this stuff um, it, it, way outside my wheelhouse uh, legally and, and with my level of expertise. And I'm just, I'm amazed that we have to have people like you there to represent people from what to me just looks sort of like some sort of social madness that's running amok. Well, it absolutely is, and, and you're right, Eric. It's it's getting worse. I mean, the the Loudoun County case I'm talking about was, you know, Tanner Cross spoke at a school board meeting, at a public meeting, and just simply said, "Hey, I don't think you should adopt this policy." And two days later, he was suspended for speaking at a meeting that was open to the public and giving his opinion on a on a proposed policy. That that type of stuff doesn't happen in America. It shouldn't happen in America. It's it's so fundamentally unconstitutional, and so. That's why we need, you know, individuals across the country standing up and saying we're, we're not going to, you know, allow America to continue down this path where, you know, we can debate important ideas without canceling the other side, without punishing somebody because they have a different view from ours, because um, that's antithetical to our First Amendment principles that, you know, that our country was founded upon. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it, uh, all of you there. I, I think the world of the ADF and uh, th- this case, just uh, particularly uh, the Vlaming case, caught my attention months ago when it was happening. And glad y'all are doing this. Thank you for stopping by to bring us up to speed on it. I really do appreciate it and hope you have a Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Eric. You're welcome. Tyler Langhofer, uh, he's the lawyer for uh, the teacher in Virginia, mm, excuse me, uh, Peter Vlaming who all he wanted to do was try to find a way to accommodate a student's transitioning and his religious beliefs. And the school board told him they he couldn't even find a way around it to balance his concern and the students had to go all in or be fired and was fired. And again, I, I think this is one of the key points, and I'm glad Tyson brought it up. This is one of the things that stuck out at me so early on in this case is the teacher was willing to accommodate the students' concerns 
and was willing to just avoid using the pronouns. And the school said, you can't do that. You have to go all in or nothing. And I just, it, remarkable that we were in that situation. All right. Uh, I want to go on and, and take a quick phone call before we jump out. People waiting on the phones, 877-973-7425. Robert, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey, uh, Eric, thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, join your on-air family. I've uh, been a long-time listener when you were in Georgia. Uh, happy to be on your national audience. Uh, like I told you, call screener, just wanted to kind of get your opinion, not trying to be flippant. Uh, full disclosure, I am considered uh, Afro-Latino, so that way we can take any type of uh, racial aspect out of it. <laughs> but, uh, you know... <laughs> So, um, I guess it's a, you know, forewarned. But um, what I was talking about was this uh, the, uh, this tit-to-tat between Elon Musk, Senator Warren, and Joy Reid. Right. And uh, I don't know if you've called screen or explained to you, but I'll just throw it out there. You know, how does it look like you have Joy Reid and Senator Warren both going after a very successful African-American? Wait, is Elon Musk African-American? He was born in South Africa. He's lived there until he was about seven or eight. Oh, that's great. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that. I. you know, I did not even realize that that's fantastic. You know, this reminds me, I want to say it was Bob Costas in what, the 96 Olympics. There was a uh, runner from Kenya uh, who was white, who won one of the, the yeah. big races. And Costas referred to her as the first non-African American African to win that race. That that was the word she used. Yep. Couldn't say black. Had to say non-African American African. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and the this Joy Reid stuff this, is Eric, nuts. What's that? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I was going to say the reason I remember this because this came up uh, by profession. I'm in. I'm in HR, not a woke HR, common sense HR, um, and. We, we had somebody was applying for some scholarships, and it became, you know, it was one of those things, hey, look, this is a common-sense decision. The child was born in Africa, regardless of, you know, pigmentation. It, you know, when it says African-American scholarship, it doesn't have any console down there that they have to be of, you know, they have to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, we're, we're starting to get more immigrants from that part of the world. And I'm just wondering how people are going to take that. You know, it, it, I, I can tell you they're going to go off of pigmentation. It's what they do, unfortunately. Uh, and this, I, you know, I've got the I audio of the Joy Reid stuff. I'll play it when we come back. Robert, listen, I, I got to let you go there, but I appreciate the phone call. That's a great point. I had totally forgotten. Elon Musk, or I may not have known it to begin with, was born in South Africa. That, yeah, puts them in an interesting spot. Why are you going after someone who actually is African? Hmm. Okay. For several years, I practiced law. I volunteered for the Alliance Defending Freedom, as I was talking to Tyson earlier about. It's one of the few legal nonprofits in America that racks up wins in both state courts and the federal courts for conservatives and for Christians. Since leaving my law practice, I volunteered in the past to speak at ADF events. I've been to training sessions where they help teach lawyers and pundits how to talk plainly about complex legal issues. Now I'm glad to have them as an advertiser, but I'd be encouraging you to support them anyway because I have in the past. The ADF takes your donations and uses them to help those who cannot afford lawyers hire the very best lawyers to fight for freedom from the highest court of the land all the way down to the local level. 
ADF has received a matching grant, so all new donors will have their gifts matched to help in their defense of freedom. Go to adflegal.org slash Erickson. That's adflegal.org slash E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N to help now. adflegal.org slash Erickson. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm going to go back to the phones. Jerry, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas hey, to you. we got about quickly. a minute. Okay, hey, we'll quickly. I read with the FBI lawyer who doctored or falsified the FISA warrants back in 2016 that instigated the Trump investigation just came off 12 months probation and has now been reinstated by the, the D.C. bar to practice law. And I'm like, why is everybody outraged now that uh, Adam Schiff is actually changing testimony in this January 6th inquiry? If nobody's going to be held accountable, what, what's, what can these people do in 2022? Because obviously people on our side do not care about this issue, but it just is really just appalling to me that, oh, my God, what can these people and what are they drumming up for 2022 if they can get away with stuff like this? And wanted to get your thoughts. You know, I, I what I think it is, is they've decided since their party is named the Democratic Party, that therefore anything that jeopardizes their reign uh, is an affront to democracy because they're the Democratic Party after all. Uh, and, and that's I mean, these guys really do think that they are entitled to power. And if they don't have power then it's voter suppression or the Russians stole the election. They have uh, they really, I, in fact, you know what, Jerry, just for you, well, not just for you, when we come back, let's spend a little time pondering this because there's actually something to this there that's happening uh, with Democrats' democracy and they think that they're entitled to rule. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 